Christmas, and happy Thanksgiving, everyone. It's a beautiful uh, weekend, and uh, <clears throat> got that rain out of the way yesterday, so uh, uh, we, um, we got a nice day today. I don't know about you, but we got uh, our turkey in the oven early this morning, and uh, so we're planning a great uh, feast later on, and uh, I don't know when you're planning yours, or if you are, I uh, trust that... Uh, it will be wonderful as you gather with your family and with your friends. Before I, I uh, uh, share the uh, talk this morning, I just want to remind uh, our Parkway regulars that uh, we are taking up a special offering during the month of October. We're calling it our Going Further Offering. We're very grateful to God for his provision for our church and being able to meet all of our needs uh, up uh, so far this year. But there are three areas that we would like to raise some extra funds. Uh, one of them is for our mortgage so that we can just top up our mortgage um, and uh, so we can keep uh, with the original um, amortization schedule. So we're looking for people that would be interested in donating to that. Our missions, we have missionaries in uh, different parts of the world. We'll refer to them a little later on in my message as well. But we have a budget to meet to, uh, to be able to meet all of our commitments to them. And uh, so we're asking people to help us with that. We also are looking for some funds to, uh, to put aside in our, what we're calling our rainy day fund. We'd like to have a, an account that where we are able to keep funds just in case as we, uh, as we move through our, um, financial obligations, just like your home and your household, you know, everything, um, is, uh, it has to be paid. And then it's good to set something aside for a rainy day. And it used to be that, uh, our, um, we were able to do that very easily, but now with the, the costs involved with our new building and mortgage and hydro and all of those things, we, um, we, we are able to pay all our bills and we keep a small cushion in our bank account at all times, but maybe not as much as we used to have. So we'd like to have some money set aside so that if we did have an emergency, if we did have a difficulty at some point in time, we could, we could uh, just go into that fund and then replace it as we were able. So uh, we're looking for $20,000 there. So that's $50,000 we'd like to raise this month. And uh, so we're asking you to participate in that. We've given out this... Uh, brochure, the Going Further brochure, and uh, gives you information. There's a note in there that talks about our current financial situation. We have made available as well um, an updated financial report um, for uh, up to the end of August. So if you want that, you can get that as well. And uh, there's a card in there where you can uh, let us know what you'd like to donate and what you'd like to donate to, and you can just put that in your regular envelope, and we'd appreciate you doing that. We already have uh, some funds in, and we'll give you an update next week as to exactly how much is in, and we'll be counting down as we uh, finish the final uh, half of this month. We'll be letting you know weekly as to how much uh, we have collected up to this point. I know that when we began the campaign, we talked to our leadership team, our pastors, and our, our uh, board members, and together they have committed already $5,000, um, and so that's a tenth of uh, there, and I know others have already donated, so we're encouraging you to uh, consider that. It's not mandatory. We ask you to continue to give your tithes and offerings, but if you're able to do something over and above and help us with this uh, going further offering, we'd really appreciate that very much. On the back of this brochure, you might want to see where our money goes. As we uh, we look at a church, we we have ours, our a vision statement. We uh, connect to God, to each other, and to our world through real relationships, and we break it down on the back page as to how we spend our funds and uh, where they go, so that information is there for you. And that's the commercial break for today.
All right. Thanksgiving. We've been talking about the Lord's Prayer in our uh, series, um, and uh, many people have come to me and, uh, and, and said or t- talked to other staff members and others that uh, this has been a really meaningful um, series so far, and I really appreciate that. So if, you have not, if you've missed some of those messages, I encourage you to uh, go online to our website, parkwaychurch.ca, and, uh, and listen to the ones that maybe you've missed, because I think it's been a very practical um, series as we look at how we can use the Lord's Prayer to enhance our own prayer life. I know from experience, personal experience, that sometimes we know we ought to pray, and we even sometimes pre- pretend like we pray more than we do because we recognize it's kind of an important thing in our culture as Christians, and, uh, but we know we don't pray as much as we ought to. And maybe you don't pray at all except when you're in church or when you uh, maybe say grace at your meal. And so we want to really encourage people to begin to take steps to pray and to uh, begin to make that connection with God on a personal and intimate level. And when uh, the disciples asked Jesus how they could pray, he taught them a prayer. And so I guess what I'm suggesting is this is a really good place for you to start. If you're not really content with your prayer life the way it is, then go to Matthew chapter 6 and you'll find what we call in, uh, in Christian tradition the Lord's Prayer because it's, the, it's the, the prayer the Lord taught us to pray. So as we get started this morning, if you know the Lord's Prayer off by heart, um, I'm going to ask you to say it with me. So would everybody stand and we're going to pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So it's interesting to me, uh, I don't know if it's coincidence, I guess, but we land on uh, Thanksgiving Sunday, and the portion of the prayer we're talking about is, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, Thanksgiving is all about celebrating the, uh, the feast that the Lord has provided for us, the harvest the Lord has provided for us. So we spend a lot of time feasting, and, uh, and, and we have um, a great blessing to be able to share with um, with ourselves and with our families because the Lord has blessed us so abundantly. We're having a problem with that? Okay, good. Thank you. I need that today. <laughs> Thank you. I was getting a little worried there. Um, so when we, uh, when we come to Thanksgiving, we often, uh, our focus is really giving thanks for what the Lord has provided us. And I don't have to tell you, you know this, that we are blessed beyond um, way beyond what is normal in our world today. Um, you and I will sit down uh, probably to a feast. Uh, what we would eat on a normal day would be a feast in most of the world, to most people. And we'll show that to you this morning. Um, because we just live in, a, in a, a land of abundance. Now some people think that's because we deserve it. <laughs> Some people say, well, you know, we've done the right things, and so we've gotten, we're blessed, and we're, we're better off than the rest of the world. And there's, there, yeah, we've done some right things maybe, and maybe we are blessed. But it doesn't take away from the fact that when we come to uh, Thanksgiving that we ought to be thinking as well about those people that uh, have less than we have. 
And so when we come to the Lord's Prayer and we say, give us this day our daily bread, it's a really good time for us to pause in our time of prayer with the Lord and obviously give him thanks for our daily bread. Most of us aren't asking God for the bare necessities of life. Now, there's more to life than food. There's shelter. There's human companionship, love. You can't survive. You can have all the food in the world, and if you don't have love, then you're not going to survive. You can't survive without human compassion and love and and connection in your life. So that's one of the things we can pray for. There are all kinds of things that go beyond just food. But when we think about uh, the daily bread part of it, we, uh, we should pause and give thanks to God because we're not worried about where our next meal is coming from. We're not worried when we get up in the morning, oh, what am I going to eat today? Will I have enough food? Most of us aren't doing that. Some of us maybe uh, experience that. I know there are people that live in our community, in our city, that, uh, that they do have to wonder where their food comes from. Sometimes people come to us as a church and we're able to help them out uh, from time to time to be able to give them some groceries or a food voucher for groceries. And uh, we're receiving uh, food today to take to our local food bank. And uh, I trust that you brought something. And if you didn't bring something, oh, you can just give money. <laughs> there's, a, uh, there's a little box out there, there's envelopes, you can do it in your regular offering, but if you want to do it out there, you can do it as well, but uh, we, are, we are collecting on this Thanksgiving Sunday food and, uh, and, and finances for our local Osgood food cupboard so that people in our community can, uh, can uh, benefit from the blessing that we have received. So it is a prayer for ourselves, give us this day our daily bread, and it's a prayer for others as well. It's a good time for us to give thanks, to pray for our own needs, but also to think of those people in our world, in our community, and around the world that do not have what we have and do not enjoy what we have. You see, when God God was planning what the world would look like, Let me go back. Let me say it differently. When God was setting up a society, when he was putting the Israelites, when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt and he was setting up a a, a culture, a society, he gave specific rules. We call them the law, the Old Testament law. Ten Commandments are part of that. And some of the things that he said was to create a just society. He said, here are the things that you need to do. And this is just a, a sampling of what Jesus said. First of all, he said, when you harvest like we're doing right now in our culture, uh, farmers are harvesting, don't harvest to the edge of your field. Leave some at the edge of your field so that the poor can come and they can harvest your food. And uh, so they they can take some of your crops, some of your bounty. Make sure you leave some for others. He also said, make sure you welcome strangers and foreigners, that when you see people that are different than you, um, that you would, uh, you would welcome them into your home and you would be hospitable towards strangers and foreigners. He had a, a the, God instituted a, a, some plans, some ideas that would ensure that the most vulnerable in society would be taken care of. Um, you go back into the culture of, uh, of the time of the Old Testament and women were not highly valued as citizens in, uh, in the world. And uh, some, some, <clears throat> some are still having trouble with that. Um, some presidential um, candidates are having problems with valuing women. But anyway, um, back in the day, you know, if you did not have, if you were a woman and you did not have a father or a husband to take care of you, then you would probably starve to death. You and your children 
would probably starve to death because there was no way you could be employed or you could do anything on your own except maybe go and glean from another, um, another uh, person's field that maybe they left in the harvest a little bit around the edges. And uh, so God said, you know, we don't want people to be left destitute. So he had this policy, or he said, here's, here's what you do. We called it, they called it the kinsman redeemer. Now, this is kind of a funny thing. Um, because if we ever tried to do it in our society today, it just would be creepy. But um, he said, okay, so if you, uh, you know, you, this woman is married to this man. Let's say Sue is married to John, and John dies. And John has a brother named Bill, okay? Bill is responsible to take Sue as his second wife, or first wife, or third wife, whatever, <laughs> he's to take her into his home as his wife and care for her as his wife. And, uh, and so this is how God planned for people to be cared for. The most vulnerable, the widows and the orphans, would be cared for in this culture. He also had, a, he had another interesting thing. So it was okay. He said, you can sell your land. Every person had land based on which family they belonged to, which tribe they belonged to, and which family in the tribe. And so you got a parcel of land. Everybody had land. Okay? Nobody was without land. And you could sell your land. If you got into trouble financially, you could sell your land to someone else. But after 50 years, after 50 years, that land would get reverted back, would be given back to the original family. So you could not, some, so, so one person could not amass all the land, which was basically what wealth was in those days. Not one person could become the, the, the lord of the whole neighborhood. Alright? After 50 years, everybody would have to give back. So God put right into the, uh, the culture and right into the laws a very fair and just society. When Jesus came along, he, uh, he didn't abolish that, but he kind of broadened it out a little bit. And it uh, wasn't so much based on laws, but as a spirit. Jesus said, you know, you've heard it said, the law says this, but I say. And Jesus said when he, when he was asked to sum up all the law and the prophets, he, he said something like this. He says, so now I am giving you a new commandment, a new law. And that is that you love each other just as I have loved you. So you should love each other. So when we come to a prayer like, Lord, um, give us this day our daily bread, and we recognize how we have been blessed by the love of God in our life, that we have been, we have, are able to have a relationship with him, and that he has provided every good and perfect gift. The Bible says comes from God. Everything good that you have came from God. Everything bad you got didn't come from God. But everything good you have has come from the Lord. And when we recognize that we have received this freely, the Bible says, Jesus says, we should freely give back. The same love we've received, we should give. And so when we come to a prayer like, give us this day our daily bread, it's a good thing to not only think about ourselves, but to think about others and how we can show that same kind of blessing to others. And that can be done in very practical ways through charity, through giving, through caring for people around us, by bringing strangers into our home, by blessing those around us, very practical ways. And the more you open your heart and your life to this concept that you have received everything from God, this daily bread that you've received that has come from God, then the more you are aware of that, the more you will be thinking about others and giving to them.
So what we're asking for when we ask for our daily bread is the necessities of life, and which we have in abundance. Let's just, let me give you some statistics. Um, first of all, did you know 805 million people in the world do not have enough food? Of approximately 600, 6 billion people, 805 million, that's almost a billion, do not have enough food. But there is enough food in the world to feed everyone. The problem is not whether or not we have enough food, it's the distribution of food. Let me give you some examples. For instance, in Canada, it takes about 2,200 calories to uh, keep someone like myself alive. Um, actually, if I ate 2,200 calories, I'd get big. But anyway, um, uh, I don't need 2,200 calories. But statistically, someone in my age bracket needs about 2,200 calories to survive. A woman in the same age bracket um, would probably need about 1,600 calories. But, you know, if they take all the food in Canada and they divide it up by population, there's, there is actually 3,500 calories available to each and every one of us. So for women, that's, almost, that's more than 50% extra food is available to you. What happens to that food? Well, a lot of it gets thrown away. A lot of it gets wasted. Some people eat way more than they should. The truth of the matter is, in our country, we have way more food than we need. There's a problem with the distribution of food in the world. Now, if you take the United States, they have a little more food than we have. And it shows, doesn't it? (laughs) 3,750 calories is available to every American. Now, if we just look at the countries where we have missionaries, for instance, that we support missionaries in the world, and uh, we help to feed people or care for people, uh, you look at those countries, remember, uh, we have 3,500 calories per person available to us. In Malaysia, um, there are 2,800, almost 2,900 calories available. It's not too bad. There's still more than a person needs there. In India, where we uh, support a school, um, or two schools, uh, boys and girls, about 1,200 children are fed in those schools every day. But in India, they're still doing not too bad as far as the, the amount of food they have in the country. It's not distributed very well in India, I can tell you that from being there. But 2,300 calories per person is available in a country like India. When you go to Cambodia, where um, the Williams are that we're supporting, uh, there's 2,100 calories. For men, it's slipping under the number. And then in the country of Haiti, they, there is uh, only 1,800 calories available per person in the amount of food they have in the country. So you can see the food distribution in the world is what is off kilter, not the amount of food. It's where the food is. We have and others do not have. Time magazine did a study, uh, did a a photo spread, uh, an essay, a photo essay that uh, gave pictures to different regions in the world and what a week's worth of groceries looks like. So I want to take you through that this morning. So it just gives you a picture of how the food is distributed around the world. First of all, we have a family in Australia. They're the Browns, and uh, they uh, like peach pie and yogurt are their favorite foods, and they spend, in U.S. dollars, $376.45 on groceries. I don't know if you can see their nice grocery pile there, but it looks pretty good, including lots of chips and, you know, nice processed foods and all kinds of good things there. Um, Then in Great Britain... 
The Bainton family, um, they spend $253.15 on food. Their favorite foods are avocados, a mayonnaise sandwich, uh, shrimp cocktail, and chocolate fudge cake with cream. And they, uh, you can see their... Um, no. Oh, no, I went up the wrong one, sorry. Go to the next slide. I said the wrong one. Are we there? Ah, there we are. This is the Bhutan family. I got these mixed up. The Bhutan family, they're um, a, a family, I should say, in Bhutan. And I don't even know where Bhutan is. But anyway, they live on $5.03 per week. And there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 of them in the photo. So you can imagine that most of the food that they eat, they grow in order to survive. Their favorite foods are mushrooms, cheese, and pork. Then we come to Canada. The only, the only family that they profiled in Canada in this uh, Time magazine um, was the, uh, the Melansons, and they live in um, Iqaluit, probably one of the most expensive cities in the country to eat in. And uh, for one week, it costs them $345. Their favorite foods are narwhal, polar bear, uh, <laughs> so that means they probably they obviously supplement their um, their their groceries with hunting, but they also like extra cheese stuffed crust pizza and watermelon. Three hundred forty-five dollars a week. Then we go to Chad and a family that lives actually in a refugee camp, and they eat a dollar twenty-three's worth of food a week. That's what they spend on groceries. Their favorite foods are soup with fresh sheep meat. There's all the food that they would eat in a week. As you can see most of it is dry grains and beans. And that's how most of the world exists today. In China, this family in Beijing spent $155.06. And a relatively small family of four, they spend $155. They love fried shredded pork with sweet and sour sauce. Sounds yummy. In Ecuador, this is probably the happiest looking family in the whole group. They have the biggest smiles, and they actually look like they have a very healthy diet of vegetables, primarily. But they spend $31.55, probably grow most of their own food, and their favorite meal is potato soup with cabbage. And here in France, the Lamons. They spend $419.95, and their uh, favorite foods are uh, Delphine Limon's apricot tarts, oh, sounds good, pasta carbonara, and Thai food. In Germany, this family spend uh, $325.81. Their favorite foods are salads, shrimp, buttered vegetables, sweet rice with cinnamon and sugar, and pasta. In Greenland, um, this family, the Madsons, they spend $277.12, and their favorite foods are, once again, polar bear, narwhals, narwhal skin, and seal stew. So of that $277, a lot, obviously a lot is, subs- is, uh, is subsidized through hunting and fishing um, local game. 
In India, this family lives on $39.27, and their favorite food are rice flakes. And uh, look like they have a fairly healthy diet there for $39.27. Probably most of it's bought or grown on their own, and most of it's bought at a market and very few processed foods. Here, next is in Italy. This family of uh, five, they spend $260.11. Their favorite foods are fish, and get this one, pasta with ragu sauce. They're Italians. (laughs) Ragu sauce, mine. And hot dogs and frozen fish sticks. Okay. (laughs) Pretty high end, eh? $260.11. $260.11. In the United States, in Texas, the Fernandezes, they spend $242.48, and they like shrimp with Alfredo sauce, chicken mole, barbecue ribs, and pizza. In Japan, Yukita family, they spend $317 US, and they like sashimi, fruit, cake, not fruit cake, fruit and cake, and potato chips. In Kuwait, this family, the Alhagen family, spend $221 um, to eat each week, and they like chicken biryani with basmati rice. And that's a family of uh, eight, spending $221. In Egypt, this family of, I believe, 11 people, the Ahmed family, they uh, spend $68.53 a week on groceries, and their favorite food is okra and mutton. In Luxembourg, one of the richest countries in the world, this family spends $465.84. They like shrimp pizza, chicken in wine sauce, and Turkish kebabs. In Mali, this family, the Tomos family, they spend $26.39 per week, and their favorite family dish is a rice dish. Here is a family of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 people I count, eating for $26.39 a week. In the United States, again, the Revi family in North Carolina spend $341.98 a week, and their favorite foods are spaghetti, potatoes, and sesame chicken. In Guatemala, the Mendozas, they spend $75.70, and they eat turkey stew and Susana Perez Matisse sheep soup. In Great Britain, they spend $235.15, and as I mentioned earlier, because I got these mixed up, they like avocado mayonnaise sandwich, uh, shrimp cocktail, and chocolate fudge cake with cream. In Mexico, this family spent $189, and their favorite foods are pizza, crab, pasta, and chicken. You'll notice in a lot of these uh, countries, uh, third world countries in particular, that they buy a lot of soda pop. Have you noticed that in the pictures? Can you see that in the pictures? This one, it really shows. They've got the other Coca-Cola all lined up across the back, right? And, you know, some of us might be critical of that, but... um, when you don't have access to clean drinking water out of a tap, um, it's much safer to drink something like um, a cola than it is to drink um, water because water would be very expensive um, as well to purchase. So it probably is a cheaper option to purchase 
um, soda pop in most of these third world countries because you can be sure the big conglomerates like Coca-Cola and Pepsi are in those countries manufacturing uh, drinks for people and so they rely heavily on that kind of processed drink which you know isn't as healthy. In Mongolia, the Batsuri family, they, they survive on $40.02 per week and their favorite recipe is mutton dumplings. In Norway, the Ottersland family um, spend $379, and their favorite foods are fresh-baked bread with butter and sugar pancakes, uh, tomato soup with macaroni and cold milk and yogurt. In Poland, the Sobczynski family uh, spend $151.27, and they uh, like to eat pig's knuckles with carrots, celery, and parsnips, which sounds like something my Ukrainian mother-in-law would love. In Turkey, this family in Istanbul, they spend $145.88 each week, and uh, their favorite food is malats puffed pastries. I think I'm with them. That sounds good. In the United States, the Cavan family of California spend $159.18, the lowest price for, for groceries in all the, uh, the, uh, the Western countries that we have talked about. They spend the lowest amount, and their favorite food is beef stew, berry yogurt sundae, clam chowder, and ice cream. And the most expensive is this family in Norway, where they spend $731.00, a week on groceries, and uh, their favorite foods are mutton and cabbage, lasagna, and chocolate. What's your weekly grocery budget? When we pray to the Lord, give us this day our daily bread, what are we asking for? It's very interesting when we start comparing around the world. I find it fascinating anyway. I don't know what it, what it says to you, but it says to me that that I'm very blessed and, uh, and, and that, um, that I have a lot to be thankful for and I have a great responsibility for those around me who have less. I find that interesting. Did you know that this is uh, just a, a little excerpt or a little glance across the world, but it is said that most people in the world people, not families, most people in the world survive on less than $2.50 a day. $2.50 per day. Here's a little Thanksgiving challenge I want to give to you. Of course, I want you to be thankful for all that you have and not feel guilty about the blessing that you have because there's no point in being guilty but to think of others. I think a good way for us to think of others would be to uh, accept this challenge. Sometime this week or maybe next week, whatever works best for you, sometime in the near future, take a day or two or three or four and limit yourself to living on $2.50 a day. Now that's $2.50 US, so right now you could, you could bounce that up by a third, okay? So maybe you could get to $3 or $3.25, okay? And live on that for a few days and see learn to empathize with most people in the world by living on that. And you say, what could I eat? Uh, like, that's not per meal, that's per day. 
So you'll probably find yourself, like most people in the world, eating something like rice and beans. Cheap grains. Beans are, very, uh, beans are the highest produced uh, uh, crop in the world because it is such a, it is such a um, healthy protein um, that people can eat. And most people in the world eat rice and beans every day. We were in India this year, and um, we were at the school with um, the children, uh, with the boys, 450 boys, and we watched them. Pre- we helped prepare their meal one day. We chopped the vegetables, the onions and the garlic and uh, stuff there on the floor, sitting on the floor with a big metal pan in front of us. But we watched the others prepare the food for the children. And they eat every meal each day. They have rice and they have a mixture, what they call dal, which is a mixture of lentils and vegetables that is cooked kind of like a soup and that's poured on the plate and they use, then they have a, a little bread, a chapati, looks like a pita, and they would dip that in the dal and use that as their spoon or their fork they would eat with their hands. Most people in the world, that's how they would live, just some rice and some beans or lentils. Maybe, if you're lucky, if you can, if you can find a deal that week when you're trying this for two fifty a day, you might be able to put a couple carrots in for the day. But definitely no fruit, no apples, no oranges, no watermelon, no fruit. It would be way too expensive. You'd, uh, you'd spend that in, in uh, one little package of strawberries or one little package of, of, um, of raspberries. You would spend more than people would eat in one day. That's my challenge to you this Thanksgiving, is to take some time in the next couple weeks and, um, and experience what the world experiences. As you give thanks this, uh, this weekend for all that God has given you, let's not forget those in the world who don't have. I'm going to ask Caroline Stewart to come. We're going to sing a uh, song together in thanksgiving to the Lord for all that he's done for us. It's an old song, and I'm going to invite you to stand and sing with us, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Let's pray first. Father, I want to say thank you today for all that you have given to us, for your blessings.